Well, it's good to be with you and be able to open up God's Word together with you. We're going to continue our journey through the Gospel of Matthew and pick up in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 12, and read through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4, we'll read verses 12 through 25. And when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from the Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Matthew doesn't give us much uh, sense of the timeline here. We've gone from Jesus' baptism and then uh, he was, Jesus is then led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted for 40 days or after 40 days uh, by, the, by, the, by Satan and the evil one. And then we come to verse 12 and, and we just read that when he, that is Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. We, we don't really know how long a period uh, this was. Probably wasn't that he returned from the wilderness and immediately went to Capernaum. There probably was some time, but, but relatively a short time, I, I believe. John's prophetic ministry of calling Israel to repentance had reached its climax with Jesus arriving on the scene. Uh, John's, in a sense, has a large crowd, a large following out in the wilderness by the Jordan. And then Jesus, the one that John said is coming, who is greater than me, comes. The one who's going to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire, he's going to bring the substance. Well, just as John arose, it seemed that he quickly went away. His falling wasn't a personal falling or a moral failure that much of what we see today. No, his time and his ministry had come to an end. And that becomes evident as he's been arrested, we see, that he was handed over. And that's what Jesus learns. We'll, we'll read more about John when we get to Matthew 14. But 
basically what has happened is that John's ministry is a ministry of repentance. He's been preaching and calling Israel to turn from their sinful ways and, and prepare for the coming of the Lord. And, and his preaching ministry obviously included even the most important people in society, including Herod of Antipas, Herod Antipas, who was the Tetrarch of Galilee. He's like the governor of Galilee in that whole region. And and why we know that he even preached to him is because the reason John has been put into prison, he's been arrested, is because he confronted Herod Antipas about his adulterous relationship with his brother Philip's wife. Wasn't the most upstanding fella, if you will. And so he's called him to repentance, and, and, and Antipas did not take a liking to that, and so John has been arrested. And, and certainly, uh, he would not have been arrested until the Lord determined that that was the time. And as we're seeing, the baton has been passed. John's ministry is over, and now it is Jesus who's on the scene. However, now that John is arrested, this clearly marks the end of his ministry, the beginning of Jesus's. But nevertheless, Jesus, when he heard, hears this, he doesn't press into Jerusalem, he actually withdraws. See that he withdrew into Galilee. Actually, he, he keeps going up into uh, leaving his hometown of Nazareth and setting up ministry in, in the town of Capernaum. Capernaum was uh, much larger than Nazareth. Nazareth, if you might remember, uh, would have been 500 people. Just a very small town. I think I said it wouldn't have even had the stoplight. It would just had the flashing light when you went through through town. Well, well, Capernaum in our day, it's not a massive city, but it's a it's a bigger town. It's about twelve thousand people. Certainly a jump from five hundred, and it's uh, about twenty to twenty five miles northeast of Nazareth, and it sits on the northwest point of the Sea of Galilee. I actually have a, a map for you. You can see you can see Capernaum at the very top of that map. And that's 120 miles away from Jerusalem. And the reason I show you this is because much of what we read in the Gospels and we hear of Jesus' ministry is all happening in the region of Galilee by the Sea of Galilee. When you hear of the storms, when you, when you see that they're crossing over in the boats, that's, you see that big body of water, the Sea of Galilee. That's, that's where they're spending their time. So that's where most of our time will be, just as a, a visual there. So you can see that this territory, it's on the outskirts of Israel. It's where most of his public ministry is going to be done. And, and just like Jesus' birth, his, his public ministry doesn't begin where you might anticipate it or might expect it. You might have expected him to, to arrive on the scene in, in Jerusalem and declare and begin teaching. But, but no, he spends his time out in the fringes, in the rural area, on the border of Israel's territory. And this is important for us to understand. Because as we're going to learn, Jesus, yes, he's preaching the message of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But what we're clearly going to learn is that his kingdom is not of this world. He's not going to set things up the way you might anticipate. In fact, he's going to do things that will catch us off guard. It might even cause our jaws to drop. This kingdom is distinct from this world that he's talking about. And the reason is, is that he has come to rescue us from the things of this world who are passing away. It's a message of repentance. Come out of this world. Come out of this present darkness. And come into the light of the kingdom. 
So this morning, I want us to heed Jesus' call to come out of the darkness and enter his marvelous light. This call is rather simple, as we're going to find, but yet it's profound. It's easy enough for a child to understand, but we will learn that it has great costs if you heed it. What I want us to focus on this morning is Jesus' call to discipleship. A call to wholesale abandonment of this world and commitment to follow him. And this call comes to us simply, follow me. Follow me is what he says in our text. So this morning, I want to plead with you to seriously consider what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? I would venture to say all of us here would say, I'm a follower of Christ. That's why I'm here. But have you really considered, have you, as Jesus will say elsewhere, have you counted the cost? Have you really understood what it means to follow Christ, to say you're a follower of Christ? Well, I want you to seriously consider that question. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it truly mean when he says, come follow me? I want to put forth this morning from our text that truly following Christ involves at least three things. Number one, seeing the light of Christ. Number two, coming to the light of Christ. Number three, going with the light of Christ. Number one, seeing the light of Christ. We'll never come to follow Christ, brothers and sisters. For those of you who are here, maybe you're not a Christian. You'll you'll never follow Christ unless you see him in, in light of his glory and grace. You won't follow him, at least in the true sense. By the end of this passage, we're going to see there are great crowds that will be following Christ, but very few actually are following. We'll see in the calling of the disciples what it really looks like to follow Christ, where the crowds, oh, they want the benefits of Christ, but they don't want the kingdom of Christ. Throughout Matthew's gospel and and the teachings of Jesus, he's going to make it very clear Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father. You won't come to that place and say, I want to follow Christ like that. Till you see him in all his glory and splendor. You see the the wonderful light and, and glory and grace that he brings. And the problem for us is that what the world thinks is glorious is actually darkness. What the world upholds, what it values, and and, and, in full admission here, we all are tugged that way. We're all tugged to value the things of this world. And what the gospel call is going to say is abandon that. Abandon what the world says is important. And come, follow me, and you'll have what lasts. See, this world is in darkness. And it clouds people. It blinds people from seeing Christ. Yet what we read here in Matthew 4 is that Jesus has come to us in our greatest need. He has come to rescue us from our greatest danger. And this is what Matthew's getting at in, in the very beginning when we, we start getting the names of these towns and, and, and the, the fulfillment of what the prophet Isaiah had said about the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. This territory of Zebulun and Naphtali um, was the territory of, 
the two tribes of Israel, which were represented by the son of, of Jacob, Zebulun, and the other son, Naphtali. They were two of the sons who represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And their territory, where it landed, was on the edge of Israel. It was, it was at the edge. It was on the fringe. And thus, it was on the fringe of Israel's territory and on the fringe of Gentile territory. Land of pagans, if you will. Those who live in darkness under the rule of the evil one. You can just maybe think of it visually of a, of a light. In, in a room, and, and you see the light shining bright, but as you, as you begin to come out to the edges of the light, you may see a clear delineation of where the shadow of darkness is creeping in, and where the light and the darkness have a clear divide. This is the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. This would have been the perspective of the Jews at this time. Oh, the land beyond the Jordan. The way of the sea, which the sea even of itself was the place of darkness. Oh, all over there, that is where evil people live, if you will. Those are where the, the ones under the, the domain of darkness live. However, Jesus goes into this territory and fulfills what was promised by the prophet Isaiah, namely that those who dwell in that land the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. It will be among that people dwelling there, a people in darkness. They will see a great light. They will behold it. The light will dawn on them there first, is what Isaiah says. The light will dawn there, and they will see as they are those who are in the shadow of death. And what I want us to see, brothers and sisters, is that the, the light of God's salvation has come in Christ, and it has come, and He has come to those who are in their greatest need. Jesus will put it elsewhere. I have not come for the righteous, but for sinners. I have not come for those who are healthy. For a, One who is healthy has no need of a doctor. I've come for those who are sick. And oftentimes, the, the religious leaders who, who saw themselves as righteous, he would say, you have no need for what I have to offer. You think you can see, so therefore I don't need to heal your sight. And that's one of the greatest problems. It is the greatest problem of the, of the human soul is that we don't think we need saving. Or we don't think that Jesus is the answer to what we can do. It We don't realize the darkness and the trap that we are in. And yet, He only shines the light upon those who are in darkness. You'll only turn on the light in your room if you think it's dark. You can see. They claim to see. Well, then you won't flip on the light. In John's gospel, Jesus is described as the true light, which gives light to everyone. And He was coming into the world. Paul speaks of God's work of salvation in Christ this way. For the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in, the hearts, in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what has happened. Just like in the creation where God said, let light, let there be light. And light shined out of the darkness. It created life. So that is exactly what he has done to everyone who's believed. You were in darkness and he spoke the light of Christ 
into your heart. Your eyes open, your ears were released, and you, you could see and you could hear. Peter reminds us that Christ called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And those of you who are followers of Christ, you know that to be true. Even if you came to, to faith in Christ as a young child, it's my prayer for my children that they would, they would grow up into Christ. There's a sense in which they, they, they don't know the darkness, but they'll learn you were. And even if you didn't feel it to the full extent, this is what Christ saved you from. And you yourselves can see that too. You can look back and, and see, yes, this is where my heart's tugged that way and he has called me out of that. Coming of Jesus marked the arrival of God's glorious rescue and salvation of humanity from the curse of sin. Left to ourselves, we're blind. We're like, like one stranded in a cave, blinded because the light, there is none, and we're just groping, trying to find our way. But the problem is, is that what we think is the way actually just leads us further down the pit. We have no bearings. We're blind. We're hopeless. We don't know where to go. And for this reason, Jesus has come. He has come to shine the light so that all who will see the light will come. How did Jesus shine the light of God's salvation? Obviously, he didn't come and he wasn't glowing and just walking around like a light bulb. He came preaching a message of repentance, verse 17. How did the light shine? He spoke the word of God. Look at verse 23. And he, this is Jesus, went throughout all Galilee. What did he do? Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That's how he's shining the light. Now, he could do something that we can't. He could read the scripture and say, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Here I, here I am. He'd say, this is spoken of me. But we do very similar. We are to preach and teach and say, this is what was spoken of him. That's how we shine the light. The light of salvation in Christ is shown in our hearts through the preaching of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ why our ministries, they must be rooted in preaching and teaching this gospel. doesn't matter what we do. If their gospel isn't clearly articulated, we aren't shining light. And that's a temptation I see. Even the church is getting wrapped up in this all over again. There are many needs out there that have to be met. But if we, do, if we meet needs without the gospel, well, then we're not really meeting their needs. What good is it if you, if you let someone survive in a cave with water, but they never come out of the cave? So we must have the right priority. And Jesus comes with the right priority. He comes preaching. And we have a beautiful picture of this salvation presented to us in verses 23 through 25. Jesus comes preaching and teaching the gospel. And repentance, he's calling them to turn. There's a bite to this message, but it's good news. It's light. You're in darkness. You must turn and come to the light. That's going to require a change in you. You can't keep going that way. But come to me. But he not only preaches, but he also shows that, the, that he is the essence of the kingdom in himself. He is the king, and he is the one who satisfies our greatest needs. 
And here, very specifically and tangibly, we read that Jesus heals every disease and every affliction among the people. Wow. I mean, look in that in verses 24 through 25. Those who are, who are all the sick and those afflicted, do you see that? Just that, that language of they're afflicted, they're beaten, they're battered with various diseases and pains. It's, it's just a broad category of, of, of physical ailments. And this king is glorious. This king's wonderful. Not only is it, is it physical ailments, but we see those oppressed by demons. We're going to come into counter with that. That's something that we don't like to believe. We don't like to believe that there is spiritual warfare going on, that, that some of these things are affected by demonic activity. He comes and rescues people from that. Epileptics, those who have chronic seizures. Paralytics, those who paralyze. They can't, they can't walk. And he healed them. This isn't meant to be a, uh, well, we'll go and do likewise. Jesus is showing that the kingdom is at hand in himself. This is what my kingdom is like. And for us, we're preaching the gospel and we're, we're doing this right now. Let me tell you what this one can do. Do you believe? Do you want to follow us as we're following him? Because this is what will occur in his kingdom. That's, that's the point of this. Jesus, my friends, he will heal you of all your diseases, all your hurts, all your pains, all your shame, he will cover, all your brokenness, he will mend. That is the message of the kingdom that we are proclaiming. And then we are to call them and say, come out of darkness, come to the light. This is what the light is. We'll even tell them that he will deliver you from death itself. This one. Who has come. Do you see the light of the glory of Christ shining bright in the backdrop of the darkness of your sin? You see how beautiful that is? Every one of you is hurting in some way right now. There is some worry, there is some anxiety, there is some physical pain, there is some temptation, there is all kinds of things afflicting and oppressing you. Jesus says, follow me and I will heal you. I'll heal you of them all. But you'll only see the light of Christ when you understand the darkness of your own sin. Do you see your need? And if you see your need, you'll see his marvelous light. And if you see his light, then you will come to the light. It's number two. Matthew introduces us to four of the twelve disciples. And presents for us, uh, I think, an example of what it looks like to truly follow Christ. What it, what it looks like to behold Him and truly see the light of His glory and grace. First two disciples we're, we're called to our attention are Peter and his brother Andrew. Jesus sees them. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee and He sees these brothers. I don't know if they're on a boat this time, or if they're just on the shore, it doesn't really matter, but they're, they're casting their nets out into the sea. I, I got to see that when I was in Haiti. Uh, we, uh, one of our trips, we got to actually live on a house on the beach. 
miss those days. And, uh, uh, and, and there was a fishing boat tied out there, and there was fishing net. And in the morning, you would see the men come out, and they would, they would throw out that line, and then they'd be on the shore, and they would just pull, 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 and all types of stuff would come up. They have loads of fish. It was pretty remarkable. I only got to see it once. That's what they were doing. And he sees them, and, and, and he, he looks at them, and, and, and they're obviously fishermen, right? They're, they're fishermen. They're not, uh, they're not among the elite. They're not at the bottom. But, you know, as you're thinking about a kingdom, and you're going to start calling your disciples, you, you might not choose fishermen. But Jesus does. And he says to them simply, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. For now, I just want to focus on that initial command and summons by Jesus for Peter and Andrew to follow him. And notice in verse 20 what they did. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. That's remarkable. They don't delay. And so when you hear Jesus' call, and some of you are here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, hearing the message, repent, come to Jesus, and you delay. It's not how you respond. You immediately leave. When you hear his voice, you come to see his light, you do not delay, you immediately go after him. I believe Jesus, I follow you. Over the last year, um, you may remember the, that uh, heart-wrenching story of the, uh, that young Thai soccer team that, uh, that was trapped in the, in the cave in July, kind of in that, that summer period. Um, they were there for 18 days, if you might remember. They were a half a mile below the earth's surface, and they were two and a half miles into the cave. They were in darkness, obviously. They were cold. They were hungry and weak. I, I was reading, they were, they were just getting the condensation off the, dripping off the, the ceiling uh, of, the, of, the, of the cave, just getting drops of water. But, you know, certainly they had no food. Darkness was setting in. Flashlight batteries were going to go out. And when the Navy SEALs arrived, you can imagine what the commotion would have been like. I was reading one, they, they just started hearing splashing because they couldn't see it. Hearing splashing and, and something coming up, which might be rather kind of scary, what is coming up out of this water, but then they, they begin to realize, hey, we're here, we're, 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 we're part of the seals, and we're here to rescue you. Now, can you imagine the boys saying, oh, that's great, but we got more cave to, to explore. Can you shine your light over here? Because I was, before my flashlight went out, there was something over here I really want to see. No. No. They said, what must we do? What must we do? And if you know anything about that, that journey, hey, boys, you're going to have to go back about two miles underwater. And we've got guys linked up, that, and you're not going to be able to see a thing. You're just going to have to get strapped onto us and hold on. Come follow us. But, 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 you can't imagine. No, there is no buts. Okay. You either stay here and die, or you come through the waters with us. 
This is what Jesus is doing. We're like those, those kids trapped in the cave. And he's come. He has gone where we have traveled. He has come to the place of darkness where we are. And he says, follow me. And I will bring you out. And yet the world says, no, no, no. We want to explore more. And some of you are saying, no, 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 no. I got things to do. I got other things to, to, to invest in. I, I don't want to lose these things. And you don't realize that the place you are is a place of death. You are in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali where the shadow of death still abides. We see the same response from James and John. But we get some more details about what it looks like to follow Christ. First, yes, we must immediately obey. When you hear the call of the gospel, Christ speaking to you through his word, come follow me. You respond, but, but we also see that we're, this call is a call to prioritize him above all things, including possessions and family. Notice that following Jesus means leaving behind these things. In James and John's case, they, they, they leave behind their boat, possessions. And not only their boat, but their father Zebedee is sitting in the boat. Make no mistake about it, following Jesus is costly. Following Jesus requires that you, you, be, you leave things behind and you go where Jesus is taking you. And leaving behind includes career, maybe, family, friends, comfort, safety, and ultimately your sin. You're no longer going to live the way you were. You're not going to follow the, the, the things of the world that you once were. You're not going to value the things that you, you once valued. And as those value systems change, as Jesus becomes your priority, be prepared. Things are going to change in your life. We'll read later of a parable of a kingdom. For some, they, they, don't, they don't heed the light. It's like a, a seed that falls on ground and a bird comes and snatches it up. You, you don't even, that seed doesn't even land on you. It just bounces off. But then there's some seed that it, it sprouts up for a moment, but, but it's, it's sprouted up amongst the weeds. And, and we find out that the weeds represent the cares of this world, the worries of this world, the value systems of this world. And although they were following Jesus for some time, they were so wrapped up in the things of this world that those things ultimately choked out the seed. It didn't have good fruit. It doesn't bear fruit, and they, they ultimately fall away. Following Jesus is going to change your life. It may not happen immediately, but gradually. You're going to have to say, I'm either with Jesus or I'm with the world. Jesus will put it this way later in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Just listen. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And some of you are thinking, all right, I can straddle the fence. I can have the best of both worlds. No, you can't. You've made your choice. Jesus goes on. He'll say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I'm asking you to abandon yourself. You get that? I've talked to people and sharing the gospel. Usually, it is, it is, there's something about um, the tug and the entanglement of sexual sin and relationships in all their fashions. 
And you can have a conversation and sharing the gospel with someone and they begin to understand, they, they connect the dots, they understand the facts. But when it comes down to it, I said, but I could never leave this. Well, if you want to be his disciple, you will. No, but you don't understand, that's me. Like, that's inside me. I know. He says, deny yourself. And that's the road from here on out. How many of us, isn't that what we're on, the deny yourself campaign? I live that world every day. I want to do this. My heart, every fiber of my being wants to go do these things, but I know, Jesus, you're saying go over here. Are you sure? Yeah. All right, I got to deny myself. That's that, that is the battle. That is the battle. He says, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Take up a cross. Die. Die to yourself. Some of you say, well, I'd die if I didn't have that. Okay, so be it. Die and follow Jesus. Forever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. Oh, it's costly. But you'll gain everything. You hold on to this world, you'll lose it all, including your own life. You let go of the things of this world and you lay hold of Christ, although it is costly now, you will gain it all. Following Jesus will drastically reorient your priorities and the trajectory of your life. One of my favorite stories is after Jesus confronts the rich young ruler. You know that story. Go and, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, then come follow me. Basically, he says, in your case, you love money. Get rid of it all. Come follow me. He's like, no go, Jesus. I'm out of here. Okay. And Peter, on behalf of all the disciples, comes up to Jesus. I love this. Hey, hey Jesus, just want to let you know, we did that. We left everything. And he says to them, let me tell you, he who has left brother and sister father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Yeah, I know you've, you've left it all for me. But I have a, a, a family for you and all that you lost will be a hundredfold in my kingdom. Following Jesus is costly, but it's the only way to eternal life. Now, I'd be remiss if I did not qualify these statements with the rest of the New Testament. Not to take away from them, but just, just not go farther than what the Bible actually says. This call to discipleship and following Christ does not necessarily mean you will lose your family. Are you, oh, I followed Jesus, i got to quit my job. Well, why are you doing that? I don't know, but I'm following Jesus, that means quit my job. No, it doesn't. Some of you are like, I'm quitting school. I'm out. Following Jesus, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily work like that. Rather, this following of Jesus says be prepared to, for things to be shaken up. Be prepared to part with them if, if I call you to do so. If, that's, if it comes down to following me or this, be ready to part with it. Notice, Peter and Andrew go together. They're brothers. James and, James and John, they're brothers. They didn't abandon each other. And you say, well, Peter, or James and John abandoned their, their dad. Well, well, actually, I think part of the reason he mentions them as 
sons of Zebedee, it's because Zebedee follows Jesus too. And we're, and we're finding out. Later, we'll find their mother comes to Jesus, asking them, hey, when hey, they're in the kingdom, can you hook up my boys and put them on your left and right? Which means she follows Jesus too. It doesn't mean that they said, sorry, Dad, you're done. We have nothing to do with you anymore. We're following Jesus. That, that would not be honoring Jesus. Peter. We find that it's Peter's boat that they actually use for ministry. There's a change there. He didn't just abandon the boat and liquidize it. No, he, he used it. They end up going back to fishing at the end, so it means he didn't get rid of it. We find that Peter... Uh, uh, uses his mother-in-law's house. So Peter's married. He's got a mother-in-law. And, and, and if he wanted to bail on her, he could have used the Jesus card, but he didn't. He, he says, hey, let's go to my mother-in-law's house. She's got a nice house. We'll do ministry there. Some of you thought that was funny. Some of you didn't. Mother-in-law, Miss Debbie, I love you. I'm not preaching at you. They watch this and, and listen. So it isn't as if Jesus is in the business of destroying families. That's not what he's doing, at least for no reason. No, he's in the business of calling everyone to follow him. And that call can create division. What Jesus is calling us to is to recalibrate our priorities. And this means that you, you may not need to quit your job, abandon your education, forsake your family. It may just mean that you need to adjust how you view your job how you view your pursuit of education, how you view your family and friends. And some of you, it will mean that maybe you move away. You might change career, say, I can't do this because of other things, and you've sought wisdom. You, you might lose friends. That's usually what first goes. Because that's where Jesus is taking you. You're like, well, I'm going Jesus. Say, well, we're going this way. And you have a parting of ways. Recently, I was getting an update about um, a pastor friend of mine who ministers in Dubai, Randall. You probably know him. Um, and uh, he's a pastor there, associate pastor, and, and, and we were um, getting update about some of the challenges they face. Uh, a fairly open country to Christianity, but Dubai is a Muslim country. Um, but some of the challenges that they face is when they're evangelizing and in, 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 in and someone wants to tell their parents, tell their family. And, and yet, this isn't, we're not talking about young children. We're talking about, uh, you know, people in their 20s and 30s and who have a career. They're on their own. But, but there's a, a high degree of honor that I think a much American culture does not understand. A high degree of honor and respect for their parents. And the hardest thing to shepherd them through is, is going to tell their parents, I'm now a follower of Jesus. And one particular case that was shared was this young girl, still in their 20s, something in that, young adult, shares with her parents that she's decided to become a Christian. And they sit her down and they pour boiling water over her head. Another one was brought out in their uncle beat them. That's what he's talking about. Leaving father and mother. You, and it's not a, a good riddance. It is a, I want to honor them, but 
just be prepared. It may not go that way. That's what he means by forsake mother and father, brother and sister, friends, lands. It may cost you everything. But if you're going to be my disciple, let it be. Let the dead bury the dead, Jesus said. Finally, following Jesus not only involves seeing the light of Christ, coming to the light of Christ, but also going with the light of Christ. Come back to verse 19. Jesus says to them, follow me. We're going to focus on the latter half. And I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is calling them for a purpose. You're going to come with me and I'm going to go make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you catchers of souls. Or as Charles Spurgeon put it, a soul winner I'm going to make you. And the path of discipleship is, does not lead to sitting, but going. It's not a check, okay, I got out of the cave. It's now, I'm going back in the cave with the light, and I'm going to get more people. That's what the, the discipleship is. Hey, I've shown you what this looks like, now go do likewise. Going to tell people about the light of Christ, just as John the Baptist does. John, in, in John's gospel, says, I am not the light, but I wear, bear witness to the light. Well, that's what we do. I myself am not the light, but I bear witness to the light. I know the way to the light because I know the way. He, he, he showed me. However, having come to the light of Christ, we are now children of light, the Scripture says. And Jesus actually makes this point in chapter 5, verse 14. You, you probably know this text if you've been in church in any amount of time. Where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I've made you like a city, a lighthouse. This is what this church is. We're a bunch of lights. We, we've sung that song, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's where this comes from. We ourselves aren't the light, but we shine the light in our hearts. And we radiate the glory of Christ. And we tell others. We are a lighthouse, brothers and sisters. This church is like a, a lighthouse built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, and outside these walls are the storm-tossed waves that are crashing in. And when we leave here, we go out in the lifeboats, and, we are, and our, our life preservers are preaching the gospel. Come, come to the light. Come to Christ. Stop swimming that way. That'll just take you further into the abyss. Come this way. Turn from those things. That'll sink you down to the bottom. And we plead with people to be reconciled to God. How do we let our light shine? Well, as Jesus' disciples, we follow in his footsteps. That means our primary means is of ministry is preaching and teaching in whatever shape and fashion that is. You've been hearing us talk about, uh, even uh, Jeremy was talking about this morning, about 100 in 2019. What are we talking about? We want to have 100 unique gospel conversations in the year 2019. What do we mean by that? That we would go and we would tell someone the gospel and call them to repentance and faith in Christ that we have never told before. Can we do that? Can our membership of 215, 250 I mean, do 100? I surely hope so. That's why we have more things on the board that's going to be up there. 
I'm confident of better things. But that's what we want. And right now, I, we're, we're asking you to be praying, Lord, prepare me, because this is what you called me to. This is what true following looks like. I, I've seen the light. I've come to light. Now you're calling me to go with the light. Are you going? And that looks like, in various capacities, in where you are in seasonal life, it includes them all. I often think of, of, of young parents Saying, well, I've got babies I'm caring for all the time. Well, are you sharing the light with them? Are you preaching gospel to them? They're our number one priority. They're right here. we got about 50 of them, little sinners, in the back, prime for gospel preaching. That's what we're doing. They come all the way up. They go to Wednesday night and rooted. They're upstairs in the, in the youth room. We're preaching, 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 and our prayers that we'd see them baptize and come to the light and join us. That's, that is part of the mission. That is the mission. We're producing sinners in darkness. But we want to transfer them from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of, his, of, our beloved, of the beloved Son. Some of you, what are your spheres of influence? Where are your careers? Where are, you, where are you rubbing shoulders? Those of you on campus, I even know some of you, just because you're at Boyce Bible College doesn't mean they're all Christians. Right, AJ? AJ's a Christian. He's just talking to me. <laughs> he didn't want us to go the wrong way on that one. You are in a place. The, your neighbors that are next to you, your family members, by God's grace, God has let you to still have a relationship with. He's called us Go make disciples. Go be soul winners. Fishermen of souls. And when we take this element of discipleship seriously, you can begin to see why following Jesus is costly. Right? It really costs you nothing until you start trying to make disciples. It may cost you your reputation. It might cost you your job. It might cost you your pride. It might cost you your comfort. I can assure you it will at least cost you that. But Jesus told us, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But we want to equip you for this ministry. What are discipleship rung? We got worship, community, discipleship, mission. Discipleship is to equip you so you're on mission. That's why we have all those classes that we're constantly nagging you about and registering for. So, yes, here's a plug. But one in particular is the evangelism and missions class that we have coming up. I'm going to be teaching that class primarily. And we want to equip you. We want to equip you for sharing Christ. And that class is going to start in March, and I hope it's full. And we're not going to cap it. There's going to be as many people as we can train, laborers for the harvest. And what are we going to do? It's going to be more like a workshop than you sitting there listening to lectures. You're going to learn how to clearly present the gospel, how, how to initiate a conversation. How do I even get there? How do I start talking to this total stranger? How do I start talking to this one I've been talking to for years but never about anything of substance? How do I build relationships? How do I handle rejection and opposition? 
how do, how do I do all these things? And then we're also going to present to you tangible opportunities by which you can do this here in our community. Various ways. But let me just warn you, don't come if you don't plan to go. This isn't going to be one of those you're going to be able to sit there and just hide. No, we're going to be in there. We're probably going to role play. There's going to be a whole lot of interaction. And I'm going to be calling us to go because uh, the first three months of the year on this goal plan has been praying. But once we hit April, we're going. We're engaging. And that class I'm praying is the laborers, the army that we're raising up is going to go. Who's with me? Then go register. All right? I got one. Are you registered for the class, Daniel? No, nope, well, then register for the class. I want us to be soul winners. And this is an area that we need to continue to grow. The Lord has just given us an embarrassment of riches here at this church. Both in financial resources, but even gifted teachers, preachers, those who can equip and prepare a loving body who truly seeks to serve people. We have what the world needs we, need to, we, not, we don't need to be ashamed about it. city cannot, on a hill cannot be hidden. Do not put a light under a basket and put it under our bed. No, we, we want it to shine bright. Just a moment, we're going to sing All Glory Be to Christ. What a, thank you, Chris. This song is going to be killer. Uh, this song is really the marching orders. All Glory Be to Christ. And it's my prayer that we'll be those who have seen the light of Christ, who have come to the light of Christ, and will go with the light of Christ because we long to see the light of his glory and grace fill this earth as the waters cover the sea. That's our prayer. So why don't you stand and then let's sing with all our might in prayerful hope that God's grace will be seen in this world.